Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of The Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello, everyone. I've been listening to episode after episode of the Emsolation podcast with M. Rossiano. And this is absolutely one of my favorite podcasts to, to put on repeat when you just want a really massive good laugh. M is a local Melbourne neurodivergent woman who just brings everything, not only to her stand-up comedy shows, but to everything that she does. Highly, highly recommend M Salation. The other podcast I've got on higher repeat is Maintenance Phase. Uh, some recent podcasts about quote-unquote paleo Pete Evans absolutely had me in stitches, particularly Mikey's uh, responses to the unbelievable high-level BS that all of us in Australia were witnessing every day. So Mikey's incredulous responses were just an absolute crack up. And I think it just really reminded us that we must have become really conditioned to the kind of kookiness that, that went on and still continues to go on. So with Emsolation and with Maintenance Phase, being such amazing podcasts, I'm so glad you're here with me listening to The Mindful Dietitian. You will love today's guest, and she is somebody who I've been in touch with for a number of years now and is doing incredible work, particularly in the education system with teachers and with dietitians. So Gwen Costell is a Canadian dietitian with over a decade of child and family nutrition experience. Gwen also works as a healthcare leader focusing on project management, improvement of systems and processes and change management, which you'll hear us talk about. This unique combination of skills allow dietitians for teachers to arise from a place of curiosity. Educators are asked to teach the mandatory nutrition and food content to students with almost no training in nutrition, and it results in well-intended and caring educators unknowingly teaching about dieting to students. And this is something that us dietitians see all the time. We hear it from parents, we see it ourselves. It's very, very widespread. And these experiences led Gwen to start asking questions such as, how can educators teach about food with the same passion and curiosity that they have for other subjects? What would help get dieting out of schools? What do educators want and how can we as dietitians support educators as the professionals that they are? Gwen works with many groups of educators from all over doing education, training and creating safer spaces for use in classrooms. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and Gwen is somebody who is not only so wise, she's also so generous and leads with the curiosity that she, um, that she speaks so highly about in her own work and life. So you can find uh, this podcast and all podcasts at The Mindful Dietitian, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au alongside mm, all kinds of other things. 
blogs, oh, including one which is called Help. My kid has been sent home with a side serve of diet culture, which is one uh, that features plenty of Gwen's resources as well as blogs and downloads and um, some tips and ideas for you if you're a parent or a dietitian or a member of the public who's interested in, um, in kind of knowing how to keep your shit together when we're doing this work because it's easy to lose our shit. Um, when our kids are being exposed to diet culture, I really understand that as a parent, as a dietitian, somebody who's really passionate about uh, not only um, anti-dieting, but also eating disorder prevention and early intervention as well. So hope you enjoy this episode with Gwen Costell. Thanks so much, everyone. Okay, it is my great thrill today to be having a conversation with Gwen Costell from Dietitians for Teachers. So welcome to the podcast, Gwen. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled. Um, I was so honoured to get your invitation and I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. We have got potentially a million things to talk about, but you are doing some really, really, really interesting work in both kind of school and education settings and more public health and also you know as a, as a qualified dietitian um, I'm super interested to hear a little bit about how you found yourself doing this really interesting and incredibly important work. Um, yeah that's a good story um, almost I, I found myself in this work almost by accident so I've been a dietitian for oh gosh uh, like over a decade. And, you know, I sort of did primary care dietetics, I did hospital dietetics, I did diabetes center dietetics. And, you know, something just wasn't fitting. And then my career actually changed considerably into like healthcare management and leadership and quality improvement, which is like problem solving, really, like, how do we make sure we're solving the right problems? Sorry, <laughs> that's my shredder. How do we make sure we're solving the right problems? with pretty minimal resources, like Australia is not that different than Canada in that like we have, we don't have a lot of money to go around for, for some of our system changes. So it was really interesting in that I actually started to step away from dietetics because, you know, doing the same thing day in, day out and being kind of told the messages you're supposed to say, um, it didn't feel right. Um, and so probably a little bit more through my personal life, my kids going through school and, you know, getting to know incredible teachers and having a couple of teachers in my family and really noticing some of the pressures of like teach healthy eating period, no explanation and how that got translated into the classroom and what that meant because no curriculums do a great job preparing teachers for that because it's not math and it's not science and it's not reading. And so teachers, these wonderful people um, had to bring their own knowledge into this and it, it, it got a little messy, right? And it, and it gets interpreted differently. So I saw my kids starting to come home with like, mom, you can never pack my granola bars ever again. Huh, <laughs> yes. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we started to kind of reflect and it was a girlfriend and I that started this originally and we were like, I wonder what's going on. And we started like looking at the space and we saw other dietitians, really well-meaning colleagues of ours kind of going in with the wagging finger and like teachers shouldn't be teaching this. They should be bringing dietitians in. I'm like, well, if it's anything like healthcare, they don't have the money to be bringing in a ton of additional professionals. Maybe instead of telling them not to touch the topic, we could try a different approach mm. 
and support them differently and walk with them and acknowledge that being a generalist is hard and support them with really good quality, empathetic, compassionate resources and tools and strategies. So that's really how we got started. And we started the Instagram account as a conversation. Let's see if this takes off. Let's see if teachers wanna to talk to us directly. And they did. And we started talking to teachers and hearing stories and learning and really addressing what they were asking for. Um, and so we've grown as a community and I'm now connected to so many brilliant educators and other dietitians and it's been exciting. So we've, it's continued, it's going well. Um, we talk, we do a lot of professional development. I do a lot of like one-on-one -on -one coaching with either small groups of teachers or individual teachers who are wanting to rework a unit. And so we'll sit and we'll write together. Mm -hmm. They bring the teacher expertise and I bring the nutrition mm -hmm. um, and newly, well, not newly, but like more and more I'm hearing from our dietitian colleagues that are either being asked to do this work and they're not, it's not going really well, or they're not having a lot of success or there's levels above them that are saying, you know, go do this work, but do it this way. Mm -hmm. And they're feeling really conflicted and, st and stuck there. And so we'll talk through strategies how to navigate that and still get really safe and effective messaging across. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you're doing an incredible job and it's, it's not lost on me as somebody who um, is very highly supportive and committed to safe and effective care across communities, including our teaching and education community colleagues as well, and in schools. And so even your Instagram handle, Dietitians for Teachers, in that handle itself, it really speaks to supporting educators, supporting teachers, and, and uplifting them as the education experts and us being in more of a support role. So I'm guessing, I'd love you to speak a little bit more to that, is I'm guessing that that handle wasn't by accident and that you wanted to kind of really communicate that, you know, we're in, we are in support roles and that, you know, as you say, the wagging finger and telling teachers kind of off um, mm -hmm. really undermines their own trust in their own capacity to be able to bring inclusive affirming work into the classroom so yeah do, do you mind speaking a little bit more to kind of that supportive affirming aspect of of your work yeah it's a really important principle um and if i was a super organized person it would be in my uh, you know on a business plan or on a plaque on my wall that like we are like we are not the like teachers are not fortunate to work with us we are extremely fortunate when teachers let us into their classrooms or into their meeting spaces so yeah like as a primary care dietitian i remember being asked to like cgi see a low growth baby see you know see post-cancer recovery and it was like, oh my gosh, there's so many topics that you could go miles deep on each one. And I never felt, you know, you could never feel ex expertise in all of them. And so this really offered a way to, to really intentionally be like, let's like, I'm going to walk beside you and I'm going to like, we're going to support exactly what you need. And I'm going to start by asking you questions. 
what are you doing right now? How's it going? What do you like about the thing you're doing? So instead of just being like, whoa, that's bad. It's more of like, tell me why, why you use this. What's working about it? What's not? And then we get into what, what's not working. What's the problem? And so, yeah, the four teachers part was really, you know, partially, can we get an Instagram short <laughs> name? <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure, right? But um, yeah, the that was absolutely intentional and, mm. and really is not even just like a business strategy. Like it's what I believe. And I believe that in every part of my life that I work, um, like even with my kids, teachers, like they are professionals. And at some point in our lives, we stopped treating teachers like professionals. Mm. And I think even more so during the pandemic when we, yes. when, when all of our kids' classrooms were in our living rooms globally. Mm -hmm. um, and we all got real, really comfortable monitoring that. And I think that really did a toll. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It was almost like teachers had to then wear five to 10 different hats. So rather than, you know, um, not, a, a, of, of course, t teachers aren't just curriculum um, delivery people, they are, heartfelt carers you know they spend often they will spend more time with our kids than we do they get to right. know them in a really different way to what we do and certainly from my schooling mostly in the 1980s 1990s <laughs> you know the role of the teacher has really expanded deepened and broadened in ways that i can't even imagine how much pressure that much must be for our educators and so i really appreciate your point at being well we don't want to be coming up with the wagging finger and saying, here's something else you're doing wrong. Here's something else that you need to be doing better. But that we are uplifting and supporting and starting off with listening, which of course, you know, um, I, I speak widely to the, to, the, to the witnessing, the listening, the, the prioritizing and the elevating of mm -hmm. other people's experiences, particularly if we are highly privileged ourselves. And we've had a, a fairly narrow experience of life, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, it, it's just so important to go in with that mindset that you're mm -hmm. not expert over someone else's experience. Like mm -hmm. that person has experience that we don't have. and. The other thing that you said there around like one more thing, like our teachers and educators and daycare staff have had one more thing every other day for the past three years. Mm. They've all become public health, you know, infectious disease specialists. Um, and so, you know, being presented with a like, oh, and by the way, you're teaching health totally wrong <laughs> is not the approach that's going to be successful, right? Like, it's just not. Um, and we can think about how we would talk to a friend on a back patio about, you know, mm, I'm, one, I'm curious about this thing I saw. Um, we wouldn't be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> like you're doing a terrible job at that and expect that to go really well, right? We would expect that to be met with some probably provocative language back. Well, well, absolutely. And first and foremost, defensiveness and shutdown. Like when we're feeling under threat, human biology says, shut down, defend, protect. 
that, that that's Hi. human biology. Yep. That's right. Exactly. So rather yep. than you know under under uh, under perceived or actual threat, because it doesn't matter. The body doesn't perceive it differently. It's like right. it it doesn't matter how kind of what kind of level of smile you've got on your face, if you are being perceived as a threat to, to somebody's, um, whether that is um, status or well-being or safety or knowledge or expertise or, you know, whatever it is, that um, it, it's just human biology. It's not because we're nasty people. So I just so appreciate you kind of laying the foundation here of starting with curiosity and compassion mm -hmm and a really like really high level of respect for the demand on our educators here. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask about, which feels like a really important layer is that we can't, you mentioned it right at the start. So I'm kind of looping back to this, this mm -hmm. as kind of a, another layer. And that is that a lot of our educators have grown up in this diet culture soup that we are all swimming in. Yeah. So it, it, we can't kind of disentangle that from their well-intentioned efforts in the classroom. So they're kind mm -hmm. of perpetuating what they have learned it's it's not like oh i think this will be a really good idea because i know this causes harm so i'm going to bring this into the classroom that is it, it, you know even sports coaches or educators or anybody working with young people it, it, even in healthcare you know we, we're not like oh yeah sounds like a great idea to like cause harm today that's that's a great idea um so do you mind if we kind of speak a little bit to that, the kind of layered impact yep. of our own personal experience in the world? Yeah, and maybe that's my second plaque on the wall. And <laughs> I, actually, I actually had two students with me um, in the last term of, of university and they were wonderful and, and they forced me to sort of be like, okay, basic core fundamental things you have to know about being part of Dietitians for Teachers is... Um, Oh, I lost it. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh my goodness. Can you, oh, can you take me back to the thought you just said? Cause you said exactly. Oh. Was it the, the diet culture soup that we're all swimming in? We kind of can't hold. Yes, okay. okay yes, got it. Got it. Yes, okay. Got, got it. it. <laughs> Is that okay. So the base, one of the basic fundamental principles of how I operate, um, and I don't know that I separate myself from the business that much because um, like, I just don't know how to do that. So is no educator intends to cause harm full stop, full stop. Um, and so when, when my students joined me last term, like we, we had to talk this out for a bit because I said, I cannot bring you with me to talks. Um, like if you, if you don't, if you're not with me on this, because you can see it in your facial expression if you're like, ooh, like they just, no educator intends to cause harm. And the problem or part of the problem in like learning how to teach health is we don't really teach them how to teach health or talk about food or monitor lunchrooms or, you know, chit chat about bodies. We don't teach that because it's assumed knowledge. And when you read some of the curriculums, um, and I've read a few, like some from the US and certainly the Canadian ones, they assume we all think the same way about terms like healthy eating, which mm -hmm. like doesn't have a definition. Like it just doesn't. 
And so when, when I start work with teachers and teacher groups, I usually really early will say, listen, the science and our understanding of all of these things has changed. Mm -hmm. What you believe you thought to be true, you were taught was true, what I was taught to believe, you know, I have, the science has changed. And that's a really permission giving statement. Um, and it, and it really can, can lower the shame quotient in your session. So like if other people are doing this work, welcome, use this line because it takes down that defensiveness a bit. Um, and I will often pair it with a story where I've caused harm. Mm-hmm. And said, like, you know, I like early, like probably my first couple of months being a dietitian, I remember sitting with a dad and a teenage boy and like teaching him how to calorie count. And like, I think about that child often because I, I caused harm, I'm sure of it. But at that point, I just come fresh out of training and internship. And like, that's what we were taught to do. I was taught that that was correct. Um, and so I will often share a story like that to lower the shame. And so mm-hmm. if any of you are working with teachers or daycares or whatever, do that. Mm-hmm. Because we've all had those moments where we've been sitting in talks, maybe it's about equity or racism or different things. And you're like, oh, I've said that. Oh, mm-hmm. I've felt that. Oh, I've definitely judged that person for having an iPhone when they're telling me they can't afford food. Like we've, we have those moments of shame and we need to, we need to be okay to sit in those and move forward. Yeah. So what you're really speaking to here is really partnering with our educators and coming alongside, you know, in motivational interviewing, um, they call it shoulder to shoulder. So getting shoulder to shoulder with our partners. So whether that is our clients and patients or whether those are community members, community leaders. And in, and in the case of our conversation today, this is teachers and educators and also probably people who are a little further up the chain too, in terms of being able to have a little bit more influence over teacher groups. Maybe those are principals or managers or, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, curriculum developers and et cetera, et cetera. So this mm-hmm. kind of, this sense of partnership, partnering with people which centers and elevates their own education-based expertise, which positions you alongside as mm-hmm. opposed to power, power mm-hmm. over. And again, that will, all that will elicit is defensiveness. Start with curiosity share some of your own experience so that it kind of demonstrates that we're all human and we're all imperfect. We've all messed it up. I'm here with you. So what you're doing here, Gwen, so beautifully is is really illustrating so clearly the starting points. Like where do we start? We start with partnering, we start with curiosity, we start with compassion, and we start with humility, you also mentioned and common humanity. What is it that we all have in common? And it sounds to me like this all makes complete sense because it's only on that foundation, isn't it? That you can then move into what's possible. What, 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 could, what could we envision together that might be different? Because unless we're able to elicit curiosity and um, a sense of possibility in the people that we're working alongside, we end up 
we end up kind of, um, uh, how would you say, we end up actually doing the thing that we say we stand against and that is you know having power over and eliciting shame and kind of um coercing and forcing and and you know um, you know the, 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 a lot of the constructs that we are committed to dismantling here mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um absolutely the walk beside and and one of the things that i do so again like happy to have more people join the space um is the one of the things I do is when someone reaches out, I, I prefer to be invited in. Um, there's very few occasions where I'm like, hello, you clearly need my advice. Um, because that invitation in um, is saying that they already have some awareness of what could be possible. And then I will always, always sit down first with that person virtually or otherwise and say like, tell me more about what you're like, what you want. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to say this is a niche space that you can like, you know, kind of repeat the same thing over and over. But in, you know, gosh, almost two years of doing this now, um, never, I've yeah. never repeated the same talk or the same uh, work with a group twice because you have to meet people where they're at. And as soon as you create sort of like, one standard offering you're missing and you're you're missing the ability to address a particular piece of resistance or a particular misinformation um that then if you'd broken that down quickly then you can get them into that learning that learning creative exciting space of like Ooh, let's do something better yeah and also yeah. you know if if you're working for example in childcare or even preschool or um, primary school and elementary or you know second secondary school the age brackets that the educators yes. are working with very enormously 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 um you know and even within a single age yep. bracket you know within a single grade that yep. you know even then the uh, even the emotional maturity the psychological maturity that the learning um yep. the, the learning needs and even um the neurodiversity of different kids let's just say different kiddos are going to mean that we are going us going in there with openness and curiosity and flexibility is going to mm -hmm. help them because I, I certainly have had the experience where maybe my entry point has been like can you come and talk to our year nines which is about 15 year olds about body image and i'm like that sounds really fascinating can we have a conversation and actually um you know might you be open to uh, some different offerings <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah and one of the things that i do um differently than others is i actually I, I don't often speak to students directly i do a little mm -hmm. bit um mm -hmm. if but it, like we have a real good chat first mm -hmm. because the impact like if i can and then this is probably coming from my healthcare, low resources big impact sort of thinking of like what can we put in place that will have the biggest possible impact and teacher like that's educators that's your your school volunteers that's your principals that's your your like ECEs early childhood educators like um and if they start to shift even like two percent at a time 
they're positively impacting 30 kids and 30 kids and 30 kids and 30 kids. And I'm not going to do the math, but you can do it, Fiona. Um, a lot more kids than me coming in to talk to a group of year nines, right? Because yes. that's 30 kids. So the dietitians that are doing the direct to student, please keep doing it because our teachers are exhausted. If they're reaching out to you and that's what you do, please do it. Give them that break. Show them the great way to talk to kids about food and bodies. But again, it's it's a place where people are like, oh no, there's so many people talking to students. I'm like, not me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather spend my energy getting teachers doing that and educators, I should say, because there's so many um, doing that work. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm with you, Gwen, and I do see it as perhaps a, a privilege of the amount of years I've been in practice that, uh, you know, having spoken with young people, adolescents for many, many, many years, and then realizing that for it to have any deeper impact, we need to move beyond that particular um, way of working. Um, and like you said, if if there are dietitians out there, nutritionists and, and other, you know, suitably qualified professionals out there doing that work, then that's that's fantastic. I think one of the one of the things over the years I've come to really realize and become increasingly committed to is kind of this multi-level, multi-level work. Sorry, I don't know why that's doing that. Sorry. No, not at all. Um, so the, the, you know, the importance of, you know, who are we speaking to, why, and what kind of impact are we are we hoping to have? And, you know, certainly increasingly over the past couple of years or so, we have been really noticing an uptick in mental health or mental health distress, I should say, um, in young people, inequitably in young people, inequitably in young people who are marginalised, and then, you know, educators being put under pressure to be dealing, not, not dealing with, that's, that's an unfair um, phrase to use, to be supporting as best they can, um, you know, all of the, all, all of the stuff. Yeah. And then, and, you know, like you just hit on something really beautiful, beautifully, like every time I have a dietitian approach me of like, I'd like to get in school, get into schools. Mm. Can I pick your brain? Um, I always say yes. Um, and cause like, I like supporting my colleagues, but the hard question is why do you want to get into schools? Um, and that's tough, right? Right. Um, because we have to pull apart. Are we getting in because we think we know better? Are we get, wanting to get in because our boss is telling us to go get in? Is it in my job description and I can't get through the door? Is it because I'm super fired up about an interaction with my kid's teacher? Is it, and that why, um, why do you think there's a need? Have you checked if it's a need? Have you asked do people, even if it is a need, do people have awareness of it being a problem? And so the coaching I'll do with that dietitian is usually like, go like do some introspection work. Like, why do you want to go? Um, and then focusing on the problem, like what is it a need the school sees? Is it a need one teacher sees? Is it a need a parent sees? And they've asked you to go in and fix it. <laughs> um, and 
always the most successful approach is if, um, so I, I recommend deeply, highly, thoroughly to go in in partnership with a teacher. Is there a teacher champion in the school that will bring you in? So even if it started from a place of like a parent of a student I'm working with, if we've had this experience, we need to get in this school and fix it. I'm willing to go. My boss is going to support me or my workplace or my private practice. Um, I'm going to call the principal and let them know uh, my rates and well, well time out. <laughs> um, and so what I would coach that dietitian is let's walk back. Like has like, what's been the interaction with this teacher? Is there a teacher that's been really supportive? Can you connect with that teacher? And the teacher suggests that you come in. Um, can parent counsel suggest that you come in? Always more successful. Yeah. Um, because, because you're recognizing the expertise and you're recognizing the resource constraint emotionally, mentally, um, time, energy of like PD days are mostly spoken for. Yes. Like, yes, they are. So, you know, like if, if it's not something the teachers are seeing as a need, you need to find a different door. I love that you pointed that out because that has absolutely 100%, not even 90%, 100% been my direct experience. And of that 100%, I would say 50% of that is through um, well-being. Mm -hmm. So so maybe the if a school has a psychologist, a counsellor, a well-being yep. coordinator, you know, um, somebody who is, that, that's their job is to kind of take care of the well-being, not only of the students, but also families and also staff, you know, kind of whole, whole community well-being. Um, and then probably the other 50% has been through an educator. Um, and of those educators, I would say half of those have been more in a coordinator role. So, yep. so a little bit more of experience behind them, a little bit more leadership, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, we're absolutely on the same page here in identifying the, the person or people who are able to, I, I, together you can have a conversation around what what are the issues that you are observing yourself so for example for me over the past number of years I now work with a with a handful of schools um it's been um uh it's been through understanding what they are observing amongst staff groups because they know what they listen in the staff room what they are observing in their students across different levels and most recently of course it's been we've noticed students are worrying more about food they're worrying more about their bodies we have heard and observed there's been an uptick in um, mental health distress and eating disorders so we would and we take this seriously and we are wondering if there's anything that we can do to kind of really help. And so that's where, you know, we, we might, let's go back to the start of our conversation, curiosity, compassion, openness, asking lots of questions, centering their experiences, and then only then offering, you know, I have, I have some ideas, not all of them might feel like a good match. So asking permission, does it feel okay if I share these things? Um, and 
really similarly, what you're really speaking to here, Gwen, is relationship building. Absolutely. You cannot do change without acknowledging, like, this is not a manufacturing plant. These are humans. And so change work that involves humans has to start with the humans. Um, it doesn't matter how, well, how nice of a process sheet you have. It doesn't matter how many research articles you've read that say this thing will work. If you do not start with the humans that you are counting on to do that change and get them to a place of feeling safe and ready and excited, hopefully excited to do this work, um, you won't have the change. You'll just have a bunch of meetings that result in a pilot that went nowhere. Yes. Yeah. And feeling equipped, yes. not, not feeling like, oh, we've, identi we've identified the problems. Well, now what? So what I do notice about your work is that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is you've developed some really nice tools for teachers, you know, completely optional, pick up, put down, leave, take, mm -hmm. you know, etc. Um, that offer some direction, offer some possibility, offer some, offer a, a, diff, a different way. So do you mind speaking to that? Because I feel like that's the, that's the kind of the next thing is it's like, well, we've identified what we could be, we've kind of identified what's going on in our communities. We've identified maybe what we could be doing differently, but then it's like the, well, then what's next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the tools that I've created, like not nearly as many as are in my brain that I'd love to get on paper. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you know that feeling. Um, but yeah, I, I decided pretty early on that I'm not going to write lesson plans because I'm not a, I'm not an educator. I'm not trained in writing lesson plans. I'm not trained in managing 30 people inside 30 minutes. So usually if you see me produce something, it's an act, like a set of activities or something like that that you can take, leave, pick. But what I, what I, the other thing that I've committed to is I'm not producing things that exist elsewhere. So um, one of the things when I work with teachers, we actually use a bit of a quality framework. Um, what's the problem we're trying to solve? What will it feel like when it's better? What will it look like when it's better? What, it, what are your principal expecting it to look like? What are you hoping? What do you think your students are hoping for? Um, and we start there. And once we identify some of that, it's like, oh, there's this great thing from University of Manitoba, or this is cool thing from BC Health, or I saw this thing. There is no need for us to be, all be creating the same thing over and over. Um, and so like, that's a huge part of what I do is point <laughs> in different directions after doing that listening. And we might say something like, okay, I love this. I hate this part. I would just scratch this out. And an example I've given to teachers if they're like, oh, I have to use this worksheet. I'm like, cool, I have an idea for you. Um, like middle school and up, hand out Sharpies with the worksheet and get everybody to cross out the stuff that's problematic and talk about why you're not answering those questions. Ooh, I love and that so, so much. we can still yeah. use stuff that exists. We can yeah. still, you know, really simplify, but we can, we can still teach that like resistance and mm -hmm. rejection skills without having to rewrite your whole curriculum right? <sighs> and rewrite all your yeah. lessons. You know why I love that so much is because there is some solid evidence around critique. Yes. Yes. 
you know, I mean, in, in terms of how we, you know, the how and the what of, um, you know, shifting attitudes, beliefs and behaviours, I mean, geez, the the evidence is not rock solid on exactly, you know, how, how to do that. But one, one, one thing, two things that we've talked about today that are pretty rock solid is one, relationship building. That's pretty rock solid. Two, critiquing is, is also pretty solid in the literature as a way that we can help young people in particular. I mean, all age groups, I think, mm -hmm. but young people in particular, how to help them to critique what is already out there because we can't like erase, erase stuff from their mind. I mean, dear Lord, I wish I could erase some stuff from my mind of <laughs> stuff I've, you know, seen and heard. Um, but critiquing yeah. you know even social media critique or you know um content education material critique is like and what's the issue mm -hmm. and you know and um it's it's tough for dietitians it's tough for teachers who like a lot of the teachers i work with they put this incredible pressure on themselves to be the ultimate source of truth mm -hmm. right that they're they're the education givers and the students are the education receivers and even um, the concept of changing course partway through a term or, or a year and, and, and helping them with that pretty simple scripting of like, I know we used to teach it this way. I know we've talked about it this way in this class from my mouth. And we're going to change because I'm practicing this and I'm giving you permission to notice and identify and let me know when. And I've said this to some teachers and their eyeballs are very yes. wide because it's a very uncomfortable <laughs> situation to be like, what do you mean? I'm going to tell them the thing I said to them last week is not okay anymore. <laughs> and so we're modeling and, and literacy is, you know, we're, we're very used to seeing media literacy in curriculums, but it's not a unit anymore. It is like uh -huh. every day, all the time, media, I was just packing up my son's grade three stuff and his media teacher had him write out media is any like any information given to you to try and kind of convince you to do anything mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it's really any information mm -hmm. and so we should be questioning so permission to question guidelines that were written 10 years ago 11 years ago because we can't honestly expect our systems to update curriculums every year um, the chances of curriculums and food guides being updated in, in parallel is just never going to happen. Mm -mm. So like will forever be, you know, out of date. And so giving that permission to say, how would we change this? Or what have we noticed? Or, you know, I know it says this. What do we think? Um, what do we think they meant when they wrote this? So really what we've hit on here is how it feels to change and how it feels looks like sounds like to change our minds about things that felt so correct or felt so right and it really reminds me of the continuous by the way continuous work that I personally do and collectively I'm noticing we're all doing around our perfectionism and around our attachment to being correct and to doing it the right way. 
and what it costs us, like our commitment to correctness really costs us individually, our community, our, our dietetic community, for sure. And then also collectively as humans, you know, and that the fact that I'm about to say that it's courageous to change is really it really shouldn't be courageous to change really it, no. it, it it's just right exactly but right. in our highly perfectionistic communities it actually is really courageous to say you know what i've really thought about this and we're going to do this differently and i think about the power of that in our communities and our parent communities too i used to think that removing all of the xyz foods from our cupboards was a good idea you know what kids I've changed my mind. I actually think that keeping more variety of foods in our cupboard is potentially going to just help us have a more relaxed attitude to food. I mean, the kids are like, woo, yeah. <laughs> a bit, yeah. Just a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the change the change part, Fiona, is so critical. And there's, and um, like change management is something that I've got some training in. And because, we should all have training in it and we don't get it in normal dietitian training. We get a little bit of motivational interviewing and we get a lot of shoulds. They should be, this disease should follow, you know, this illness should, counseling session should, charting should, um, parenting should look like this, kids should eat like this. But really change is all the time because our research community is forever finding out new things. And if we don't change our minds, then we are actually not doing evidence-based practice. Um, so a couple of the change management frameworks that I really like, um, like the simplest one is what? So we have to know what the problem is. What is going on? What is the issue? What is the problem? Have we asked or are we assuming? Do we know? Can we measure it? Um, who told us that's the problem? Have we checked other sources? And then there's the so what, which is like, why does this matter, right? So like some things probably like, okay, that's not the best, you know, or like, I don't know, I can't think of a great example, but like, it doesn't matter. And mm -hmm. some things really do matter. Like, um, and so often when, again, when I'm working with dietitians who want to get into schools or I was working with a teacher recently and we're going to do some work. And she said, oh, no, my leadership wants me to, I have to connect it to our priorities this year. And I'm like, well, I'm guessing your priorities are mental health, inclusion. And, and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, the so what is mm, all why of does those it matter? Things. Yes, exactly. And then the third part of this change framework is like, so the what, we have to get there with the safety. We have to safely bring people to like, oh, that's happening. Mm oh, it matters. Oh, 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 oh. And then there's the now what? And that's when you get into like, so what can we do about it? And so many of us well-intended perfectionists go to now what first? And we go, okay, I got a new thing for you. Here's the framework. Here's a way of doing it. Da, 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 da. But if we haven't done the human part of like, do you know what's going on? Do you know this is a problem? It's okay. Safe learning. And then into like, and it's not helping because this, this is why we have to change. And so like that framework I hold tightly and there's more complicated build-outs of the hat. 
um, in lots of different textbooks, but it's, it's essential yes you know what um and and please do correct me if i get this wrong but that sounds is that the driscoll model so that is oh i'm gonna have to look it up uh, this isn't a test by the way like it's not a like a um but that reminds me of the driscoll model which has its origins i believe in nursing where it's mm -hmm. about change and decision making and how we um it could be a slightly different one but just to kind of give it a, a little bit of a name if anybody wants to kind yeah. of go look it up and how I came across this so interesting Gwen is through supervision because in uh -huh. supervision you know we talk about the watch like what am I noticing in myself what am I noticing in my client like what's kind of going on and then the so what like why does this even matter why am I bringing this to supervision like you know um what is it that I, you know, like, why, why does this feel like it matters? And I've put it top of my priority list on my agenda for today's supervision. And then the, you know, the, the, that's where we kind of pause and really flesh things out. And then the, what next is, you know, so mm -hmm. what do I do with this information moving forward? What are the, what do I, my original question was a, you know, uh, we've, you know, f kind of fleshed it out and done some real exploration B and then how am I going to take this information and what am I going to make of it in mm -hmm. the, the steps that yeah. I'm taking forward? So, um, so for any dietitians yeah. here who are thinking, well, you know, how does this kind of apply to other, it applies exactly to absolutely other things as well. Yeah. I actually just finished, well, I finished it a year ago, but it just published, um, I know Australia, some of the Australian dietitians use PEN, the, the Through Dietitians mm -hmm. of Canada. Um, I had to push pretty hard, but we, we advocated and I wrote a quality improvement pathway for dietitians oh, because wow. we're, Excellent. we're trained in the research method of mm -hmm. like randomized control trials and all of these things. But the learning that's going to help us reduce no-shows or, you know, uh, improve patient satisfaction or get bigger chairs for our waiting rooms because it's the right, like, because it's important and essential, um, doesn't come from an RCT. It comes from the what, so what, now what? And so, yeah, I don't know the exact name of the model, um, but what I will tell you, most quality theory, like if you go back far enough, um, comes from the same few people and it's sort of been evolved and changed into mm. different little mm. different so I'm guessing that that's very very um that may be the original or that may be close but there's other models um another one that people can look up is ADCAR which is um it starts with awareness is the A and then you know desire to learn more then knowledge so there's like, you have to kind of move through all the phases, but what, what, so what, now what sticks a little easier. So it's kind of an that. easy one to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and what I really love about this is it's, 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 it's applicability across so many different settings and how the, the kind of the unlearning and the reflect pieces that we are invited to do ourselves is a big 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 massive part of this before we even move into the um what does this look like in practice what would this look like with another human being another collection of human beings a particular community with a particular need so i mean i know you feel very strongly about this i am very strong i feel very strongly that you know 
a, a dietitian's capacity to be able to dig in to some of the learning and and unlearning is critical for us to be able to show up and to do this work well in the world. So I'll tell you, um, one of my biggest unlearnings, uh, the good example of being humble in learning new things is I did my master's thesis on body mass index. <gasps> and, oh my God. And, and, and it was about why it doesn't apply to a certain mm -hmm. um, population and like, oh yeah, it doesn't work for this population, but like the stuff I was reading, but I actually remember very early being like, I'm really having trouble finding the source the very first time this was proven to be true. <laughs> Um, and I remember like, you know, wonderful advisors and helping me kind of explain that, but I understand that differently now. <laughs> like, and so, <laughs> you know, on, I, I'm sure back there somewhere, like on my bookshelf is my thesis that if I reread it today, I would probably, oh dear. So, you know, we have to do that. And I don't know that that gets encouraged enough in mm. medical training or, um, you know, we're told to be evidence-based, but as soon as you stop being a university student or a lecturer, you stop having access to journal articles mm -hmm. yeah, without paying true. a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. So how, right? Yeah, that, that, is, that is so true. And it's, it's not only about keeping up with what's in the literature, but also, you know, really deeply listening to communities that are wise yeah. and knowledgeable and can have the have the longer term view as well so not only the what's going on now but what has happened in the past what ha what, what changes have happened in the past that have influenced where we are now because we we are often just one little snapshot in time and so understanding what has been before is important hmm. Yeah, and it's one of the things, so when I, you know, like all dietitians are not created equal. Um, and so when dietitians say they want to go into schools and classrooms, um, you know, that that sometimes can be a red flag. And so one of the things I've done with schools is like ground rules for guest speakers. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a parent or a doctor or a dietitian or a chef, like here are the things that are important. So, you know, there are still dietitians being trained to be the experts on how everyone should eat. And really what we should be remembering is in that classroom, you have 30 or more different family dynamics and relationships with food and cultural interactions and all the things, all the shoulds that we're told to teach, probably we don't need to. Um, and we can role model stepping back from the shoulds because they're hearing the shoulds everywhere else, right? They're hearing them on social media, at home, on television programming, like find one children's movie without a reference to should be thinner, should eat this food, should be whatever. And so dietitians have this really neat opportunity to go in and do less shoulding and more um, celebrating of cultural traditions and diversity and teaching respectful lunchrooms instead of healthy lunch boxes. Like, yes. wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, I felt like there's been a real, um, a real uptick, you know, increasingly uptick over the past 20, 25, 30 years or so. And it's, um, yeah, so th there's a lot of there's a lot of collective healing and work to do in order 
to invite us all, uh, including us as a dietitians within our within our own communities and within our own profession, back to a place where, um, you know, partnering is our priority. Partnering mm. and learning along the way, yeah. like li listening yes. and learning and finding out what people are ready to hear from you and what they're ready to tell you about. Um, and so again, like if people are going into talks with teachers, my typical talk is flexible and you have to, and you may need to practice, but if you're expecting to go in and do a 60 minutes of you speaking and then you open for questions at the end, um, you could really miss some moments of people needing to break through a barrier that you could have done at minute three. Oh, yes. um, but you Good need point. to practice being able to respond to, well, I only teach about, you know, this particular food author because it's an easy to understand framework. And so how mm -hmm. are you going to roll with that? Because especially right now, teachers and educators are used to having, they're like, it's normal, unfortunately, for every decision they make to be challenged. Mm -hmm. And so what we're essentially doing is it's, I see it as encouraging them to kind of reflect and move with me to something different, but a lot of them will be feeling challenged, especially if it's a mandatory attendance event. Like yes. if, the, if the principal's like, I'm bringing you in to talk to the staff. Uh oh, <laughs> right. That can be a huge issue. Um, where as if it's like, uh, you know, here there's, two sessions happening on different topics. This one, if you want, this one, if you want, um, bringing the people who are ready, it is okay. Because that kind of change can be snowball effect, right? Like mm -hmm. what are you doing in your classroom over there? Right. Um, and, and, but you know, if we're going in and teaching the schools, even if you set the best ground rules at the beginning of your talk, like we will not be discussing specific diets. We will not be discussing personal eating habits. Um, and what we will be doing, but it will come up, mm -hmm. you know, you'll get someone that a wasn't maybe was, you know, putting their cat somewhere while you were doing ground rules. And then they pipe in and they say, but I did, but I did keto and it helped me a lot. And I don't see why I can't share that with my students. And so you need to be ready for those, like, I don't know if I'd call them challenges, but those invitations to to talk about tough stuff because it is going to come up. These are, you know, if you're on any type of social media platform, people are digesting all of this information and how are they to know that you are the one that's, that's going to be true, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And are you the one that's true? Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because if, if we are positioning ourselves as the one who is correct and true, then again, we're perpetuating the very thing that we're aiming to dismantle <laughs> so the the for like really encouraging groups and educators to go well what's the problem you're trying to solve yes right yes. what's the problem you're trying to solve well i'm trying to uh help kids feel more comfortable in my classroom i'm helping i'm hoping to you know help with national eating disorder rates or whatever it might be right what's right the problem and then you can, then as, if you start on the problem, you then have flexibility to try different things and abandon the ones that su that suck. Yes. Like we hold on to things that are not working because we've poured money into it or we feel invested or it was our idea. We have this ownership bias that clouds our judgment to go, 
oh my gosh, I thought doing that every day, like putting a motivational quote about bodies on the classroom board would be helpful, but it's actually making some kids feel uncomfortable. It's not working. I need to change and try something else. Yes. And so when we let go of needing to know the plan, it allows us to stay focused on the problem. And so dietitians, we're the same. We have to be focused on what we're trying to accomplish and change our methods often. Yes. It is about constantly reviewing, reflecting, and being in community with others who can hold us close as we're doing this really hard work, which is I know what you're really committed to, my, I'm really committed to, and there are increasing numbers of people all over the world who are really aiming to develop communities of practice and, and develop communities of people who um, can come together to to, to develop these this kind of this sequence of work that starts off with safety, prioritizes relationship, leads with humility and kindness, and only then after we've found out about what other people are naming as um, you know the problem or how they want to move forward, that we are offering and inviting so that gives a really nice almost a sequence to a presentation in lots of ways if people are like well what do you actually say okay start <laughs> off with your conversations with people in the school D do not step i mean i'm going to be a little bit black and white here do not step foot inside that school until you have had at least a couple of conversations with absolutely educators principals whoever needs to be you know, whoever those conversations need to be with. Be prepared, understand the communities of who you're speaking with. Mm -hmm. um, it's important and I, and I usually start by, even in the session, tell me what I need to know about your school, about oh, yeah. your classroom, even if I've had conversations. And, and there's different ways to do that. Like if you're doing a virtual meeting, it can be overwhelming to invite audience interaction, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have to keep track of a Zoom chat. I have to do, people are gonna be unmuting. It's gonna be bananas. Um, use, look up some different tools, use things like Jamboards or collaborative whiteboards. And then actually everybody gets to see all the ideas, right? Of like our classroom, I worked with a school once and their biggest issue was um, one of their huge issues at lunchtime was the number of people having food delivered to the school. <laughs> And so they were, of course, well, they were of course concerned that it was unhealthy. Um, and I said, how are, how's your front, like, how's your front office staff coping with that? They're like, not well. I'm like, great, shut it down for that reason. Like your front office staff deserve to have- A break um, and a break do their and not job. And not be food delivery folks, right? So, um, when you start to ask what's going on inside and ask the people that are in your presentation like tell me what or sometimes i'll just say tell me what you hope to leave with yes and yes. even if i and i and i will often say i've got slides but if you want to talk about something else and we as a group agree to go in a different direction i'm good <laughs> uh, but you have to be a you have to be willing and ready and and it does take some practice to be nimble in presenting because yeah. some of us practice in front of a mirror and get very nervous and just need to say it but that might be where you really benefit from a presentation partner so someone who's um, maybe a little bit more nimble than you that you're great at the scripted and if it goes sideways you know I'm going to ask my colleague to jump in and, and do that so you know recognize your strengths as well because 
the best sessions I've ever been to, I can get my needs met because mm -hmm. we're adult learners and teachers are wonderful people, but they're educated in child learning. Yes. Adult learners need to know what the heck am I here for? What's the takeaway? What's the point? And then if I'm still with you, then tell me all the other parts. The, um, the other topic we'd chatted about is um, one of the things that I know we have, you have a mostly dietitian uh, audience. So hello, friends and colleagues. Um, one of the questions that we chatted about was what happens when you know, you're working with a client, whether it be a student, probably the student, and you're noticing something problematic at school, should you as their clinical dietitian get involved with the teacher directly? Um, do you want to go there? Fiona? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's good to talk about, um, I've had people reach out a couple of times. Um, and I think it's important to remember a couple things. One is that, is that really the right place for you to be kind of going in? You're not known to this educator, um, that defensiveness, kind of that reactionary. So like, say the situation is like a calorie, like, you know, something, something worrisome, like a weight or a calorie counting exercise. Um, should you go and approach the teacher? And there's situations where even if you have consent, you might be better positioned to actually work with the family to do their own advocating. And here's why. So very much for the same reason that I often don't talk directly to students, even if you successfully fix this issue with this teacher and you like have this great chat and you send them great resources and maybe you go, above and beyond and give them a new assignment idea to use instead, that's one teacher. Mm -hmm. This parent, this child from your clinical hat is going to then move on and have probably has at least four other teachers that term if they're in high school. I'll back up. Yeah, so that, that child is going to have other teachers and that family, and they probably won't be working with you. They probably won't be working with you every time they encounter a new teacher. Most diet dietitian client relationships are short-term. And so the better bang for your buck is probably to teach them how to do their own advocating. And so to model with that student unteaching or teaching other concepts or, you know, how to reject that and why that, and, and you, even some compassion for that teacher. Um, so regard, like if you work with this student and you, you go and you get permission and you work directly with this teacher, that's, that's great. You'll probably be able to influence this teacher, change the assignment, maybe get some, maybe change their mind, maybe not. But even if you're successful, this child has other teachers and will continue to have other teachers and other adults and other camp counselors and other peers where they were, will continue to run into these messages. So the opportunity for you to think about is, is my, is my time and effort best spent directly working with that one educator? Or is it around empowering the, the student, depending on their age, either kind of role modeling and teaching, like, yeah, different adults think different ways about food um, is a great one for smaller people. 
And then as they go up, you can say, yeah, you know, like we all live in diet culture. We're all influenced differently. Um, no adult means harm, but you're right. Those messages can really sting. Um, you can talk to your teacher, maybe ask if there's a different assignment. If you trust that teacher, maybe say, you know, it's not feeling good for you. It's making you feel uncomfortable and ask to do something else, opt out. You can also coach the parents on how to gently, like respectfully get involved. And I do not recommend a huge email. I recommend a really short, hi, you know, it's Jacob's parents. Um, where, you know, I have some questions about the last assignment. Can we set up a time to chat? So the teacher knows when you're coming roughly, but there's no, you know, there's no essay about what the problems are because you haven't done the listening yet. Hmm. So, and then you can go into that, that conversation with, I'm noticing this. I'm concerned because I'm worried because I'm upset because can we adjust change? Are you open to learning anything differently? Can I send you some resources? And sometimes that's the beginning of a beautiful champion being built in that school. Um, and so one of those, do you want to connect with, you know, Mike, with Jacob's dietitian, Jacob's fictional, by the way, just everyone, do you want to connect with Jacob's dietitian? She's been really helpful in us learning she said she'd be happy to have a chat with you or he'd be happy to have a chat with you. Um, you can be a resource, but you don't necessarily need to be the first point of contact because, you know, as dietitians, we're trained to like have tough conversations with other people on the medical team. We know how to do this, um, but you need to, we need to empower the parents, the caregivers and the students to learn to do this because this is not the only time it's going to happen unfortunately and we need to tell Jacob or the student that that's true yeah it sucks that that happened um, unfortunately that will happen again do you want to talk about some strategies maybe bringing in um, a call a counseling colleague do you want to talk to my friend about like strategies around like you know standing up for yourself or advocating I've got a colleague that would be glad to see you they're great that sort of thing so yeah like I'm always so proud of us when we like stand up for ourselves and like really get misinformation identified but we inadvertently sort of stop the progress when we go in you know when we go in with the journal with the journal articles away then we really do stop the progress and, and we halt the learning because it's not a safe learning environment. So yeah, should dietitians get involved? Maybe, but not as first, not as first contact. Like really, I would encourage clinical dietitians, pediatric dietitians, you wonderful people that are supporting families and caregivers and all these situations to help them figure out how to do it that's going to be their their job forever yeah absolutely yeah our our colleagues dietitians we are wonderful people um i welcome more people to be in this space with me and with others doing this work um there there is so much good to come from this um and you know but i also welcome us to come into this space with an eye on 
human change and respecting other professionals and and not even other professionals only but respecting that expertise looks a lot like a lot more things than degrees on walls um and you know we really need to keep be mindful of that and and support people through a lens of lifting up their expertise and complementing it yeah Gwen I have just been so grateful for this conversation um tell well I know where to find you because I did find you but tell people where they can find a little bit more about you about your work um I don't know you do some such fun things on Instagram you know it's I know that you take this very seriously, but I love the lightheartedness that you bring as well, because without that, I don't think we're going to be able to do this work well in a long, in a, yeah. you know, with, with some longevity. Yeah. And social media is a funny place, isn't it? Um, yeah. So Instagram is probably where, <laughs> probably because of my uh, comfort with tech and learning that, unlearning what I learning and unlearning. Um, Instagram um, is where I'm the most active. Um, I do a little bit on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but quiet because um, still learning all the platforms. But um, I also have a website, which is desperately due for some updates. Um, but you know what? The best way to reach me is to send me a message, send me an email. Um, my, you can email me directly from my website. You can message me on Instagram. It's me. I will be the one who answers you. I will gladly, I chat with people all the time. Um, like if you want to send me some troubleshooting or, you know, an idea or something you want to walk through, I'll happily chat back and forth with you. Um, and then if it makes sense that we connect more and do work together, that's great too, but not an expectation, um, being in community with some of the people that I've found through doing this work is extremely rewarding. So please feel free to join me there. No pressure, lots of fun. Um, yeah, and we'll go from there. That's awesome. Gwen, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an incredibly rich discussion. Um, I hope people listening have been able to take some really beautiful um, tools and tips into our work, our advocacy work, our communication, um, and our understanding of change, which is you know, the core of what we've really spoken about. Thank you so much for everything that you do and contribute. I'm incredibly grateful to you and um, have a really fantastic rest of your day and week. Thank you, Fiona. It's been lovely. Thanks for inviting me. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.